chapter 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. No doubt there were more than just two women, but here Matthew is going to focus on Mary and the other Mary. Mary Magdalene was faithful right up until the end of the Lord's ministry. Both testaments hold women up in a very special place. And yet saying that, let me say this please, that women are not permitted to have teaching roles in a New Testament church. The role of deacon, elder and pastor is reserved for men and not all men, I might add, are called to be pastor, deacon or elder. So don't get the erroneous view that God is a misogynist, far from it. In fact, if you read the Hadith, Muhammad said that hell would be full of women. He was a misogynist, whereas the God of the Bible is no respecter of persons. Another quick point that I wish to comment on, if I may, Mary was the first person to see the risen Messiah. Not Pope Peter, not the Queen of Heaven, quote-unquote, but Mary Magdalene. Mary was a fallen woman. I don't believe she was a prostitute, as tradition, quote-unquote, affirms or tells us that she was. I don't believe that. But she was a fallen woman. She was demon-possessed prior to being set free by the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore he chooses her to see him. And some ask why. Well, I believe she represents A, women, and B, fallen women. Eve fell in the garden, and through the fall of Eve, women have suffered the stigma. And part of the stigma, of course, is the pain of childbirth, and in many ways being in submission to their husbands. The Lord chooses Mary to replace that stigma and to initiate a new covenant with man and, of course, with women. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, Once a man or a woman have been saved, they are now equal as far as their positional standing goes, meaning in the eyes of the Lord there is no distinction as far as he is concerned. Their daily roles will still fluctuate. The woman is still expected to remain at home and be a good wife and mother, so on and so forth, and the husband is expected to be the breadwinner, so on and so forth. And yet saying that, let me say this, that Lydia was self-employed and her own boss so sometimes you will find women that are able to be their own bosses and may not even be married I might add but here she's the first person to see the risen Messiah everyone else had deserted the Lord apart from John but Mary and some of the other women remained faithful and that's typical of any decent Bible believing church women are always the faithful bedrock in a local assembly two and behold there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. The angel of the Lord, I believe, is deity. Please go to Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 26. Acts 8 verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, 
Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Angel of the Lord. Look at verse 29 of the same chapter. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Capital S. Within a handful of verses, the angel of the Lord has been identified as the Spirit of God, i.e. the Holy Ghost. So I believe from verse 2 that the angel of the Lord is the Holy Spirit. Yet in the Old Testament, when the angel of the Lord appeared, for me that is a Christophany, i.e. the Lord Jesus Christ. Only if you are a Trinitarian does all of this make sense to you. But here in verse 2, he comes from heaven and he sits on the stone after rolling it back. Not to let the Lord out, but to let the women and later John and Peter in. 3. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The transfiguration, the Lord appears in glory, and he too was white as snow and his raiment as lightning. This is a picture also of what the Lord is going to look like at the second coming. But here the angel of the Lord has come from heaven and he represents in many ways the majesty of God. But as a Trinitarian I have to go back to Acts 8 and suggest to you that on this occurrence anyway the Holy Spirit is the angel of the Lord. And on this occasion he takes on some kind of physical appearance. Some people will say it's just an angel. Others may even suggest that it is Jesus Christ himself. It could be the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He could be an angel if he chose to be. And at the same time be dead in the tomb. And at the same time be in China. And at the same time be in India. And at the same time be in Australia. He can do whatever he wishes to do. But here, following the basic law of hermeneutics, the basic principle of scripture with scripture, and I remain convinced to some extent anyway that this is the Holy Spirit taken on the role of the angel of the Lord. Verse 4 says the keepers, plural, did shake and became as dead men, plural. Here's your arm guard that the high priests wanted from the last few verses from the previous chapter. Pilate says you have your guard, go and make it as sure as you can. And these great men arrive, these seasoned soldiers, armed to the teeth. And yet when they see the angel of the Lord, they are in a complete meltdown. They fear with a capital F and become as dead men something similar to what happened to Lot's wife. They froze, they became like dead men. As I've already said, to be on guard and see who you are guarding escape normally resulted in the loss of your life. Acts 16, when the Philippian jailer 
thinks that Peter and Silas have escaped, he is moments from killing himself. And Paul says, don't kill yourself, we are all here, everything is okay. These keepers, these armed guards, shake with fear. That's a picture of what is going to occur when unsaved people stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the great white throne. They become like dead men. Every mouth will be stopped. 5. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. We have to seek the Lord. Even after we are saved, we have to seek the Lord in prayer, and if necessary, through fasting. We need to protect our testimonies. And Paul said in Romans 12 that we have to renew our minds every day through reading the word of God, meditating on the word of God. And here the angel says unto the women, Fear not, don't panic. I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. And he goes on to say in verse 6, He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. The angel of the Lord affirms to the women, which was very unusual in the first century, I might add, that the Lord has been raised from the dead, like he said would happen. Interesting from 6 and 7 that the angel of the Lord says to Mary, go and tell his disciples that he has been raised from the dead. He doesn't say to Mary, go and tell the Queen of Heaven, quote unquote, or go and tell Pope Peter, quote unquote. He says, go and tell all of his disciples. And once again, for me, this shows that the Lord has not only switched from his primarily dealing with the Jews via their temple but now he's going to be operating with the church and men and women are going to be equal in this church Galatians chapter 3 as far as their salvation is concerned go and tell his disciples this was unprecedented for women to testify of something on this scale but at the same time it's also a rebuke against his male disciples because they have all abandoned him apart from the youngest of course let's read on 8 and they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word women can give tracts out women can evangelize women can share their testimony these women are doing it. These women are pronouncing the resurrection of the Messiah. They were commissioned to do so by the angel of the Lord from verse 7. So women have the right to put out tracts, to share their testimony and to get the gospel out. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But teaching, as I say, pastor, deacon, elder is a no-no. You won't find any New Testament scripture for that. In fact, pre-1960, 
you won't find any mainstream church anywhere in the world that had a female pastor, a female deacon, or a female elder. But feminism occurred during the 1960s and all these churches succumbed to this feminism invasion. Go and tell his apostles and they run with great joy. This is a remarkable statement, just remarkable. Nine, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, all hail. More than just two people here. Other gospels, like I've already said, have more than just two women present. And this language, all hail, affirms that more than just two women have been given this wonderful commission. They've seen the angel from two, five he speaks to the women, six he affirms the resurrection, and seven he tells them to go and tell the apostles that the Lord has been raised from the dead. And by nine, Jesus himself appears. Now you can understand why some people will quote verse two and verse nine to affirm that Jesus was the angel of the Lord. And I'm not going to argue with those people, really, because either way for me, the angel of the Lord is deity. I still think that it's the Holy Spirit from verse 2, but clearly by verse 9, Jesus himself has appeared. So I'm not going to read too much in to verse 2 and 9. I will leave those verses where they are, and I will retain my earlier hypothesis that the Holy Spirit is the angel of the Lord. But more importantly for me, here and now, looking at verse 9, Jesus himself meets them and says, All hail. And look what happens when they meet the resurrected Messiah. And they came, verse 9, and held him by the feet and worshipped him. You call me Lord and Master, and so I am. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Capital L, capital G. Even in a Jehovah's Witness New World Translation Bible, quote-unquote, that term from John 20 hasn't been tampered with. My Lord and my God here, they fall at his feet and worship him. There was no doubt whatsoever in the early church as to who Jesus Christ was. Yes, he was human, but he was also divine, the God-man. And here these women are quite rightly worshipping him, and he welcomes it. He doesn't correct them, he doesn't rebuke them, he doesn't discourage them, he welcomes it. 10. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Galilee not Jerusalem. Interesting. Here he echoes what was found in verse 5. Don't fear. It's quite natural to fear God himself. Not just reverential fear, but fear in and of itself. We serve the living God. He made the world out of nothing. He walked on water. He raised the dead. He cast out devils. We should fear the Lord. And here, Jesus says, stop fearing, don't worry, don't panic. 
Just go and tell my brethren that they wait for me in Galilee. He's calming them. They are really excited, but they must be fearful as well. Fearful that the apostles won't believe them, and they didn't believe them, but also fearful that they may be stopped by the Romans on the way, or the Jewish leaders may seek to interfere with their wonderful news that the Lord has been raised from the dead. And here Jesus, as a shepherd, who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, I won't allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you can endure. Here the Messiah, here the shepherd, is calming their nerves. Just go and tell my brethren that I have been raised from the dead, like I said would happen. 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city, and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders, and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night, and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him, and secure you. So they took the money, and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Verses 11 to 15 are summed up in two words for me. Travesty with a capital T and conspiracy with a capital C. The travesty here is that these good pagan Roman superstitious soldiers go to the high priests in Jerusalem, God's holy and eternal city, and conspire with these good Jewish priests to keep this whole thing quiet. The Lord has been resurrected from the dead, and these pagan superstitious Roman soldiers are quite happy to be bribed, like Judas was, by the high priests to saved their lives, of course, because once this came out, unless there was a good reason for the escape of the prisoner, as he would have been seen in the eyes of the Romans and the Jewish leaders, unless there was a good reason for his departure, they would be put to death. And as far as the Jewish leaders are concerned, the people would believe that the Lord had been raised from the dead. Now of course you can't overthrow God's will. This was going to occur and here what you are finding for the most part is a crude attempt to thwart God's plan to resurrect his son from the dead. It's happened and they couldn't stop it. These people were on the wrong side of history and this conspiracy to deny the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has continued for 2000 years. It started really here, 30 AD. It's continued on through the centuries. It took a root into Islam, and the Muslims deny that the Lord was raised from the dead. It then went into communism, and they too deny the existence of God. Then it went into fascism, and they tried to tie in religion with state politics and now we are very much seeing it being denied in Darwinism. This conspiracy is nothing new. Satan is the God, lowercase g, of lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. 
here 11 to 15 are absolutely unacceptable and yet I will say this one more time not unforgivable if these people repented they would too have been forgiven and saved just one quick comment to make before I move on and it really goes back to the area of separation the Old Testament was very clear that God didn't want the Jews mixing with the Gentiles and this is one of the reasons why I appreciate it's an extreme reason but nonetheless God says if you are my people you are to be separate from the world system the same is true today for the church God's people today are to be separate from the world system here you have an unholy alliance a wicked yoking of the Jews and the Gentiles coming together to as I say cover up the Lord's resurrection God says no it's unholy it's impure and I won't accept it if you are my people you must be separate from the world system that starts with the new birth but then it's down to you to separate yourself from unsaved people as and where you need to do so family would be the exception of course you can't help who your family are and even your work colleagues you can't help who you work for or work with but in your own time when it comes to socializing so on and so forth be ye separate saith the Lord here 11 to 15 for me one more time is travesty and conspiracy taken to a new level how they thought that by paying off these Roman soldiers would achieve anything is beyond me but again these people are desperate to retain their power the priests that is and they are going to do whatever it takes to retain their power and try and silence the news that the Lord has been resurrected and this elaborate cover-up for me really just shows how futile these men were and how superficial they were and how for the most part they had no understanding as to what they were involved with no understanding whatsoever and even worse of course is that they are religious people in a position of authority and that's why the Lord says how can ye escape the damnation of hell it's a rhetorical question and of course they cannot escape the damnation of hell their judgment is going to come and it will come very fast and very severely but here Matthew quite faithfully writes what happened as a warning he doesn't duck what happened he could have said well this didn't occur but he's put it into his gospel because it occurred and he wants you to know that this is what happened 16 then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them and when they saw him they worshipped him but some doubted I love the honesty here once again Matthew is telling us that some doubted possibly Peter maybe Peter denied the Lord and in John 21 the Lord takes Peter aside and says to him three times do you love me do you love me do you love me more than these he has to take time to restore Peter back to a position of leadership Peter was one of the pillars in the early church but Pope he was not here some doubted again this shows me that Matthew is giving us 
an honest account of what occurred. Lord, increase our faith. And the apostles prayed that prayer, and sometimes we too may need to pray that prayer. 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. 19. The Great Commission Go into all the world, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is a universal commandment for new believers, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. 20. I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Deity. Only God can be with everybody at the same time until the end of the world. Once again, this proves that Jesus Christ is God. And just one quick footnote on verse 19, because I appreciate that for some they get confused when they read through Acts of the Apostles, where it says they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And there's no mention of the Father or of the Holy Spirit. Acts of the Apostles is simply telling us that they had the authority from Christ to baptize new people. That's all it means. Whereas here, the Lord says, once you baptize a new believer, it's in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So there's no contradiction. There's no reason to be confused. Simply understand that when it says they baptized in the name that simply means they had the authority of Jesus to baptize new converts into the local church using the formula found in verse 19 Father, Son and Holy Spirit so on that note I wish to thank those of you that have started and have ended with me this was a non-scripted Bible study and hopefully you've been following along with me with your Bibles open and as I thought it has taken 12 hours to read the entire Gospel of Matthew but uh, this is a project that you can't rush and even though it's done with no notes nonetheless I wanted to take my time going through this marvelous Gospel and Lord willing those that have started and ended with me have been blessed and above all that you've had your Bibles opened and you've been reading along with me